This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Last week, the fight over what exactly to do about vaping came to the White House. And then... It was broadcast on C-SPAN. Mr. President, thank you for having me here. I'm Casey Crossway. This meeting, it was held in a cabinet room, and it was packed. Senator Mitt Romney was there. The president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids was sitting directly across from the president, jammed in between the CEO of Juul and the head of a vaping industry association. These people, they do not agree. The advocates say vaping is just another way to get kids hooked on nicotine, their cigarettes, without the smoke. The industry representatives, for them, vaping is a way to give adults who want to quit the experience of smoking with less risk. It got awkward. So would you say it's a lesser problem than smoking cigarettes? I mean, they say that, you know, the e-cigarettes you stop smoking and it's better. You don't think so, Sally? No, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. No, it, nicotine addiction is not good. It's bad for the children's brains. It affects so them with their attention. When the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids guy tries to jump in here, say vaping is dangerous because it's attracting a new generation of smokers, an industry rep interrupts him, says kids who vape, they're not exactly angels. These are kids that have at-risk behaviors, and that is why, yes, we have but to be... They, they don't have at-risk Then that guy gets shouted down. Eventually, Mitt Romney weighs in. He says, even Mormons are vaping now. You guys are Mormon state. Half the kids in high school are vaping, all right? They wouldn't have used these products. <laughs> the people in this room... They can't seem to agree on the basics. But none of them would be here at all if it weren't for what started happening earlier this year. Thousands of vaping-related hospitalizations. 47 people dead from a mysterious lung injury. This month, the CDC said they think they figured out what's happening here. They linked these breathing problems to an additive called vitamin E acetate. It's used mostly in marijuana vapes. But for e-cigarette manufacturers, that didn't matter. Their products were already under the microscope. I wanted someone to disentangle this vaping story for me. Help me understand how vaping moved into the mainstream so quickly, with so little oversight. So I called up Desmond Jensen. He's a lawyer at the Tobacco Control Legal Consortium. We've known for a long time that you know e-cigarettes are not effectively regulated. Desmond says... In meetings like that one in the White House, people aren't just fighting about data, who vapes and how addictive nicotine is. What they're really fighting about is regulation. Because right now, e-cigarettes, they're kind of under the radar. It's kind of the worst case scenario for an unregulated product that suddenly there's something in it that is putting people in the hospital and, and causing deaths. I was watching this old congressional hearing from September with a mom who showed up 
in front of the Senate committee and talked about her daughter and how she was driving her daughter to college. And all of a sudden, her daughter started shaking. And she said it was like a terrible flu and she couldn't breathe. It sounds terrifying. ...experience that involved a week-long hospital stay where my daughter went from a healthy, vibrant 18-year-old to a patient who needed rapidly increasing amounts of oxygen and medications to to treat her declining health. She had this one moment, really briefly, where she said if e-cigarettes were romaine lettuce, the shelves would be empty right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the new <laughs> the new romaine outbreak again this year sort of underscores that. So you're saying we have a drug on the market, but we're regulating it like like it's not even a piece of lettuce. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like it's a stick of gum, maybe. Yeah, I will probably even less so. I mean, gum is a food under FDA regulation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, people ha- really have no idea how, how little regulation there is. Today on the show, why the vaping crisis is one of the FDA's own making. They've got the power to regulate nicotine. So why aren't they doing it? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The first time Desmond Jensen saw an e-cigarette, it was around 2012. That was sort of when they they really started to take off and emerged as as a, a product to really pay attention to. By the time you get to like 2011, 2012, all of the bigger companies, you know, the Reynolds Americans, the Philip Morris, they had all started selling e-cigarettes. Originally, was the idea with e-cigarettes, this will be a way to help people quit? I've sort of heard anecdotally that the that the person who invented it, that was sort of the, the reason behind this new version of it. But the large cigarette manufacturers had been working on different nicotine delivery technology for years, for decades. And you should be skeptical of the motives of those companies and probably not assume that they're doing anything with public health in mind. E-cigarettes as a product were unlucky in some ways and very lucky in others. Unlucky because they burst onto the scene right around the time the FDA had these new and improved powers. Those powers 
They were outlined with a big federal law called the Tobacco Control Act. It passed in 2009. It was a huge deal. The additional powers could have made it a lot harder for e-cigarette companies to bring their products to the masses. But e-cigarettes were so new. And herein lies their immense luck. They were part of this wild west of nicotine delivery devices. It took the FDA years to hash out how to regulate them. And as the FDA was chugging along, coming up with rules, a few pioneers were doing everything they could to make e-cigarettes irresistible. Today's video is going to be a jewel sesh. We got the mango pod. The cool cucumber. Fruit medley. I've got this creme pod because I thought it would be festive. It tastes great. Well, if you want a head rush, definitely the jewel. That's really strong. You have a company, I don't think it was called Jewel back then, but now it is, who was working on how do we make these e-cigarettes more appealing? What did Jewel do to make the e-cigarettes go from what I remember from a decade ago, which was these sort of nerdy things that looked like fake cigarettes, to what they are now, which they look like USB drives, and apparently one in four teenagers is using them? Jewel, in particular, really changed the game. There's a couple of guys who were at Stanford, and they decided they were going to bring the Silicon Valley mentality to the tobacco market, which uh, to me doesn't sound like a good idea. Silicon Valley is about you know disrupting markets and, and bringing change. And innovation in an addiction marketplace is not necessarily going to have a good outcome. I mean, they notoriously, they met on a smoke break at Stanford. And one of them, this guy, James Monsey's, he has a TEDx talk where he's talking about his sort of philosophy. He leads by saying, I love smoking. And uh, I know I'm not alone in this. It's been Yeah. What Jewel did differently was to change the way that the products deliver nicotine. Nicotine, when you inhale it, is actually fairly harsh. It's hard to inhale if it's the first time you're using it. And it has a sensation in the throat that is not pleasing. And it's because nicotine is fairly alkaline. So if you remember back to you know high school chemistry, there's acids and there's bases. Well, nicotine is a base. The chemical has sort of the properties of that. And so what Juul did was to combine that nicotine that's alkaline with an acid, benzoic acid, to bring the nicotine closer to the middle of the pH scale. And so what that does is make the product easier to inhale. In fact, you can inhale it fairly deeply and you can inhale the nicotine the first time, the second time, without any trouble. And in the early days with e-cigarettes, it wasn't particularly enjoyable, is my understanding, as someone who's never smoked or smoked e-cigarettes. Yeah, there's two things. One of them is the, is the character of the nicotine. Like I just said, it's fairly alkaline. It's hard to inhale. It also doesn't deliver nicotine as well as a cigarette. And so the earlier devices, the particles that the aerosol creates are actually fairly large. Juul and the newer devices are also better at creating smaller particles. So you have an easier to inhale version of nicotine and it's more effectively delivered to the lungs. And the other thing that Juul did 
was to double or almost triple the nicotine concentration of other products on the market. And so when you put those three things together, the easier to inhale nicotine, smaller particles that deliver uh, deeper into the lungs and more nicotine in every puff, you have a product that's really, really addictive. As Juul is creating the alpha and omega of nicotine downloads, the FDA, they're just getting around to making new rules for e-cigarettes. And they do this by requiring a pre-market review. That's when the FDA says, before you put any product on the market, you've got to tell us what's in it and what it does to people. FDA pre-market review of tobacco products looks a lot like FDA pre-market review of drugs. So if you're a drug company and you want to sell a drug, you have to get permission first. You can't just sell a random drug in stores. That's the whole reason the FDA was created. People were selling literal snake oil on the side of the road uh, with dubious health claims, and some of them caused more harm than good. So pre-market review of tobacco products is supposed to work the same way. You have to actually go to the FDA and ask permission before you can sell the product. Now, when you have a robust marketplace filled with thousands of products and you have to implement that authority, you have to decide how to do it. One thing you could do is just decide on a particular day that pre-market review starts and clear the market of all of those products and force manufacturers to you know, file their applications and have FDA staff review them. FDA decided not to do that. So what they decided to do with their implementation plan was to give manufacturers two years to keep products on the market and to work on their applications and then file them. And for one more year after that, you could keep products on the market while the FDA was reviewing applications. But there was a certain date in time, and it was August 8th of 2019, which is a date we just passed, where all of the e-cigarettes on the market should have been reviewed by the FDA and the federal government should have determined that they are acceptable for sale. And so that means that the FDA knows what the ingredients are, how they're delivered. There's been some kind of even trial where you see what the impact of the drug is. Is that true? Yes. All of that is the sort of evidence that manufacturers are expected to file with the FDA, what's in the products, how they're used, how they're marketed, where they're sold. And the FDA, in, in granting authorization, can also put limits on that. You know, for a product like Juul, they could say, your nicotine content is way too high. Or, okay, you can sell your product, but you're not allowed to market on social media at all. So it is a process that grants the FDA a lot of control. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like they have a lot of power here. And as you said, this date just passed. So what happened? Well, uh, a change in administration happened. And with that, we have a new FDA commissioner. Scott Gottlieb started in, in May of, of 2017. And on July 28th, he made a, a historic announcement because one of the things that the FDA announced is that they were going to reduce nicotine levels in cigarettes, which would be a huge public health victory. He announced that they would uh, they would eliminate flavors in harmful products. But the part that didn't really make the news was that, and the part that industry celebrated, was that the FDA was going to totally remake pre-market review of all the products that came under their new authority. Um, so everything except cigarettes and smokeless tobacco, e-cigarettes, cigars, water pipe tobacco. And 
the way that it was going to change was that the the deadline now to to actually file your application with the FDA was pushed out until 2022. Not only was the deadline to file far into the future, but there was no longer a certain date and time where all products would be have guaranteed to have been reviewed. So the FDA didn't set itself a deadline for review. So if you sort of play that out, they've really shifted the the incentive on how manufacturers ought to treat the process. If you have a deadline and your product might come off the market, you should do everything in your power to make sure your product stays on the market and that you have marketing authorization before that date. Because if you don't, your product comes off the market and you're going to start losing money. And if all you make is e-cigarettes, you might go out of business. But if that date doesn't exist, if there's no deadline, if all you have to do is file paperwork, then there's no incentive to file until the very last possible day. Because then you're at the end of the line, but you've guaranteed that you're in the line. Right. And actually, if you think about it, based on um, FDA review of of, uh, other products, what you ought to do is file an application that's sort of incomplete or not great because the FDA gives manufacturers a lot of leeway and will ask them to amend their application to add more information. And so if you can make that song and dance last for years, as some manufacturers have, the longer you play games with the FDA, the more products you sell, the more addictive products you sell, and the more money you make. Hmm. There was a point, I think, in 2018 that uh, the commissioner said he was he was surprised that e-cigarette companies hadn't filed any applications because no one had filed at that point. And I don't know why he was surprised because that was the inevitable outcome. In fact, the Tobacco Control Act, when it passed, did something similar for cigarettes. And there was a deadline where manufacturers had to file, but they could keep products on the market as long as they filed. And there were a handful of applications that were filed before that date. But on the week that the applications were due, companies filed something like 3,600 applications. And FDA was buried and didn't know what to do with them. And there are Thousands of those applications still sitting at the FDA that haven't received action uh, eight years later. So it's not like they didn't know what was going to happen. I knew what was going to happen. I told them what was going to happen in our comment that we submitted on the rulemaking. Everyone in public health knew that. I'm sure the industry knew that. We saw this movie already, and the FDA doubled down on that mistake. Can we talk about... Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner here, as a character and, and what his motivations here might have been, why push back this date? There was already a deadline for these companies to file their paperwork. Why give them more time? What the FDA commissioner said publicly about this, the, the reasoning was we want to allow manufacturers more time to submit good applications, which sort of makes sense. I mean, there's there's a logic behind that. The only problem with that is if you have no deadline for product removal, there's no incentive to file a good application. So I don't know if I buy the argument that the purpose was to make the process work better because I think the inevitable outcome was that the process did not work better. 
the change to pre-market review feels like a handout to industry. And it certainly affected litigation. So there were challenges to the FDA's action of, of regulating e-cigarettes. And a couple of those lawsuits were actually dropped. And the reason that, that the plaintiffs dropped those cases was because the FDA changed pre-market review. So pre-market review was the whole ballgame for them. Hmm. I'm still I'm still thinking about how you said <laughs> there are thousands of applications for like cigarettes from 2009 still bumping around FDA. Yeah, I mean the uh, the scary reality is that most tobacco products on the market have had no federal oversight whatsoever. And then earlier this year, people began showing up in hospitals unable to breathe. Right. This sort of happened uh, very quickly. The 40-year-old California man died from what health officials there called severe pulmonary injury. It's the seventh death together with hundreds of illnesses recently linked to vaping. The cause still a mystery, but officials think the illness stems from chemical exposure. It went from being sort of anecdotal reporting of people in the hospital to widespread coast-to-coast lung injury, several deaths, people in ICUs, uh, you know, people who are under the age of 30 who can't breathe on their own. And it took everyone by surprise. I know people at CDC who spent, you know, weeks on rotation on and off. I mean, this was treated like like the Ebola outbreak, right? This is This is a major public health crisis. We don't know what's happening. While the CDC reports at least 530 confirmed and probable cases. Important detail here, most of them involve vaping with THC. That's the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana or both THC and nicotine. Eventually, the CDC finds out that a good number of these people are using THC. Uh, There are a number of people who report only using nicotine. So we don't actually know what product to pin everything on. And it's possible, probably even likely, that there's actually more than one cause and more than one type of injury happening sort of simultaneously. And if you live in a state where marijuana is legal, THC is something you can just buy in a vape shop and pop into your vape pen? In some places you can. In a lot of places you still can't. We do know that that none of the products uh, were part of any medical marijuana programs, but a lot of these injuries are happening in states where where recreational use of marijuana is not legal, and it seems as though a lot of these people are buying black market products, they're buying them in shady places or over the internet, and that's sort of the intersection with with the lack of federal re- regulation entirely. If you have a white marketplace nicotine vaping products that is unregulated, it certainly gives a lot of cover to a gray or black marketplace for illicit products. You can make it look like you have a store that is selling products that are perfectly legal, but you're actually selling products that aren't. I mean, I have no doubt that if we were, if you turn the clock back, you prevented the emergence of Juul and other similar products and we had a controlled marketplace for e-cigarettes, and you had an agency like the FDA that knew every product that was on the market and was supposed to be there, it would be a lot easier to identify the illicit products. Hmm. If you walk into a store and you know the name of every product that's legal, then you also can see all the products that are illegal. Because the feds don't regulate marijuana, 
the FDA is now left to regulate what it can, vaping products. In September, the president said he planned to ban flavored vapes, which are popular with kids. But he seemed to walk that back in recent days. Meanwhile, some states, like Michigan and New York, they've acted on their own, limiting the sale of vaping products. I told Desmond Jensen that without stiffer regulations at the FDA, it kind of just feels like we're lurching from crisis to crisis. That's sort of the trajectory of, of tobacco control. And it takes huge events to cause significant change. You know, it took whistleblowers bringing out documents in the 1990s to find out that the CEOs of the cigarette companies were lying to Congress. And the result of that was, you know, litigation from the states, the federal government. We had the FDA trying to regulate tobacco products. It, it, it does, unfortunately, take these big events. I hope that we don't squander this one. Desmond Jensen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Desmond Jensen is an attorney at the Public Health Law Center at the Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. Let me know what you are interested in, what you want to hear from us. All right, thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. I will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.